And again, we'd say good morning to everyone. I'm glad to see you. Glad to see you alive. Kind of good to be alive, isn't it? Of course, I don't know what it's like to not be alive. But anyway, I'm glad to be alive. I hope you are glad to be alive today. And it is a good day. You know, you get the feeling summer is on its way, don't you? And it'll be here soon enough. I look forward to that. I hope you do too because you can't get around it. It just makes its way here. We want to think about who we are and where we are. We want to think about what we have yet ahead of us. We want to think about our lives in, in positive ways. And I think as Christians, when we, when we take on being Christians, we kind of want to know where we're going, what we're going to do, how we're going to accomplish it, what's expected of me, what does the Lord want of me? That's a question that goes back to ancient days, doesn't it? But that's just a natural question for us. We've been looking at some of those things and some of the lessons. And if you haven't been here, boy, you have missed the best. It's just been absolutely fantastic. Just anybody, ask anybody that was awake during part of them. But seriously, I wanted to give you some things. I wanted you to be able to hold on to that. And today I want to take a little bit different look. Because we're really, we're covering about uh, three chapters. Chapters three, four, and five of the book of Acts in a hurry. We're not going to amplify everything that's in there, try to cover it, because we'd be here the rest of the day trying to do that, and we wouldn't get it done yet. But I want there's something there I want you to notice. There's something there I want you to notice. I call this lesson, they were on their way, because they were. They were on their way. And I'll get to the meaning of that in just a moment. I want you to read with me from Acts chapter 4. Follow along as I read Acts chapter 4, picking up in verse 32 through the end of the chapter and the beginning of the fifth chapter. Verse 32 begins, Now the multitude now the multitude of those who believed were of one heart and one soul. Neither did any one of, anyone say that any of the things he possessed was his own, but they had all things in common. And with great power the apostles gave witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. Nor was there anyone among them who lacked, for all who were possessors of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of the things that were sold and laid them at the apostles' feet. And they distributed to each as anyone had need. And Joseph, who was also, who was also named Barnabas by the apostles, which when translated means son of encouragement, a Levite of the country of Cyprus, having land, sold it and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. But a certain man, and I always watch for that word, B-U-T, but a certain man named Ananias, Ananias and Sapphira, his wife, sold a possession and he kept back part of the proceeds, his, his wife also being aware of it, and brought a certain part and laid it at the apostles' feet. Now, it's probably unfair of me to bring in just a small section of the story and bring it to you. And I hope you'll take time to read the entirety of it. Read the entirety of Acts 3, 4, and 5, and you get a better idea of what we're talking about. Because you know after this, if you've read the story, you know after this, Ananias and Sapphira, they put forward and said, oh, yeah, this is what we sold it for this way, didn't they? just lied. And they end up bringing about their death. God struck them dead, you know, because it's not appropriate to lie to God. You might get away with lying to your neighbor, your friend, maybe even your wife for a few moments until she can get hold of the frying pan. 
You might get away with lying to some people, but you don't get away with lying to God. God knows. And Ananias and Sapphira suffered the consequences of it. But all of this takes place in the context of the development of the church, of the Christians who were making their way, who were in the beginning, who were finding their way and beginning to get their feet on the ground and figure out what's going on. And I say they were on their way goes back to what we read in Acts chapter 3, at the very beginning of that chapter, and we've shared that many times, where Peter and John were on their way to the temple. And there they came across a lame man begging for alms. That lame man, that lame man thought maybe he was going to get some money from Peter and John. But if you're a reader of the Bible, you recognize Peter said to him, silver and gold I do not have, but what I have I give to you. And he called on in the name of the Lord Jesus, and the man was given legs to walk again. That was a changing point. That was a transition point, and we'll come to that. Because I think we get into those positions where things are flowing smoothly. I think we're looking forward to that, aren't we? We're looking forward to things flowing a little more smoothly than they have for a time. We're looking forward to getting past some things and being able to operate in a more expected or normal fashion. We look forward to those times when disruptions are kind of out of life for a while. You know, if you're, if you're like us, oh, I shouldn't put my wife in that category, should I? And you're an old married couple, things can get kind of quiet around the house. Even the dog doesn't disrupt things that much, you know, because the old people, they sit around and fall asleep in their chairs, so the dog just falls asleep too, you know, that's just the way it works. And then sometimes you long for disruption, but seriously, getting back to this, we, I think we long for things to not be so disruptive. We lo- long for things to not be so out of order. We long for things to get into a good flow that we feel good about the things that are happening and, and going along. But it seems, and when we get into that mode, it seems just when, when things are smoothing out, that nothing all that outstanding or amazing or troublesome is happening, something unusual does happen. That's just the way it works. I don't really know how much time passes between Acts chapter 2 and that great day on Pentecost when Peter stands up and preaches and 3,000 people respond to what is said that day. I don't know how much time passes between that and the third chapter of Acts. It appears there are some days, maybe weeks, maybe even months pass. Some may have a better idea of exactly what passes, but there is a passage of some time, and I think things got into a flow and into a motion. We read the latter part of chapter 2, and the people were operating with one another, and there was a great joy and gladness and participation, and they shared with one another, and there were a lot of good things happening in that regard, but it kind of got into that flow of things. And that's where we go with this. But just when you think everything is kind of settled down and in a flow, you might be aware. For if you remember, you remember those days, or you you think about those days, I don't think any of you were there, in those days right after the death and the resurrection of Jesus, right after that, it seems like he kind of came and went with the apostles and those men that were close to him. It seemed like he was there sometimes and sometimes he wasn't there. And you remember that's occasion that John records in John chapter 21 where Peter and some of the others are gathered together and maybe it's just kind of one of those days where things are just kind of at a low ebb and just ordinary, nothing really going on. And Peter says, hey, 
I'm going fishing. Some of the other guys say, hey, I'm going with you. Who wouldn't want to go? So they take off and go fishing. They get out to fish that evening. They don't catch any fish. All in the night goes by. They don't catch any fish. And about the morning, they hear a voice from the shore that says, hey, children, have you caught any fish? No. The voice says, cast your net on the other side of the boat. And they do. And you know what? They began to pull it in, and they hadn't seen so many fish. And one of them, the guy that's recording it, the one that calls himself that disciple whom Jesus loved, John, I get the picture he kind of leans over to his partner and friend, close associate, Peter, and he says, Peter, it's the Lord. And while everybody else is pulling in those nets and all the fish, Peter grabs up his clothing, jumps overboard, and swims to shore because he wants to be there with the Lord. It is an unusual day. Yes, they thought they weren't going to catch any fish. Pretty soon they're catching fish. Jesus is there, and everything changes. And that's much the way it was for these men as they were heading up to the temple to pray. Here it is, the middle of the afternoon, the ninth hour of the day, which was probably somewhere around three in the afternoon. People are beginning to gather in the temple, a common hour of prayer. And Peter and John are going to the temple to spend some time in prayer. And on the way, there are beggars, and this one gets their attention. Common place for beggars, but this one gets their attention. And that healing of that lame man at the temple gate, I truly believe is the beginning of a series of engaging events that takes us through those first several chapters of the book of Acts where we begin to think we're in a flow and then everything begins to kind of go this way and it gets your attention and it drives you and you begin to think about it. And looking at the way those Christians handled those ups and downs, the disruptions, the changes that were coming their way in the changing landscape leaves for us an example as we deal with our own landscape of life and our own changes. And while our exacting circumstances may be a little different from the principles, I mean that they were, they were seeing the principles that are applied to us are just as vital and just as real. So let me offer you a thought here, and here's what I'm trying to say. Progress presents problems. If we're going to move forward, there are going to be problems. In the church, in those early days of those Christians there, good things were happening. There was a community. There was a continuity of spirit among the believers. There was no apparent active persecution. Nobody was trying to take their lives. No one was trying to put them on a cross. Nobody was necessarily throwing stones at them yet. There was no active persecution. The people were, were hearing and seeing around them and responding to the good that they were hearing and the things that they were seeing in these Christians. They were seeing and recognizing something was great there. And as the latter end of that chapter tells us, as they saw the good there and the gladness of heart and the sharing that they had in the public and in the private, it says, and the Lord was adding to the church daily. People were responding on a regular and ongoing basis to that. And isn't this just pretty much the progression that Jesus had unfolded? Go back to the very first chapter of Acts when he tells his disciples, you're going to be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the world. In other words, it's going to start small and it's going to just get bigger and bigger. 
progress does present problems. Progress is going on, and problems came. Problems aren't always bad, though. They make us think, and they make us work. But think about some of the things that happened. Peter and John. Peter and John, after the healing of that man and the disruption that comes into the temple of the case, they're brought in, they're, put, they're, they're incarcerated, at least overnight. They're brought before the council for judgment there. They're put on trial, and they're even threatened. Don't preach anymore in this guy's name. Chapters 3, chapters 4. Don't do this anymore. And their response, are we to listen to you or are we to listen to God? Things may have settled for just a little bit very, very quickly. We begin to see as the Christians are very active, we've got a couple by the name of Ananias and Sapphira. Their names will go down, don't mean to misquote, in infamy in a sense. We don't name our children Ananias or Sapphira anymore, do we? But Ananias and Sapphira created a problem. They're lying to God, their deception. It wasn't that they didn't give. It wasn't that they held back part of what they had. It wasn't just their selfishness. Some attribute it to that. But it was about their deception. They tried to present something that wasn't true. They tried to pretend they were something that they weren't. It was hypocrisy. It was, it was deception. And it was put before God. And they died as a result. And there were others took them out, buried them, and dealt with it. And the church moved on. And then again, the council brings in some of the apostles, incarcerates these apostles again, puts them on trial again, says, we told you not to do this anymore. Basically, they stand there. We told you we were going to continue to do this. But they end up beating them. Thankfully, Gamaliel kind of stands in the way. We really can't be standing against this if it's of God. But those apostles are beaten, and they are imprisoned in chapter 5, are imprisoned put on trial, and they are beaten. You know what they did? They thanked God that they were worthy to be punished or to suffer harm for the cause of Christ. Think about that. But they did that. And then we quickly move on. Things keep going. But we're working together. We're caring for one another. But it seemed like some may have been being overlooked. There's a complaint that arises, certain among the widows that should be being cared for weren't being cared for. And so we got to take care of that business. We apply some people to take care of that business. And then we've got Stephen who's making his presence known by preaching the gospel, teaching people about Jesus Christ. He's brought in. People don't like what he has to say, so they throw stones at him and they kill him. And immediately after that, because he's a principal in the killing of Stephen, we've got Saul of Tarsus. And with the acknowledgement of the high council, he goes about imprisoning people, beating people, dragging them away. The persecution of Saul begins to work right there in Jerusalem, and it scatters Christians as they begin to go other places. But you know what? He didn't realize it. But what he was doing was actually taking the gospel outside of the bounds of Jerusalem because... Acts chapter 8, and that's where we are. Acts chapter 8 says, those that were scattered abroad, what did they do? They went everywhere preaching the word. And that's not the end of the problems. Of course, they go out and the gospel spreads and the church is growing. But what that leads to is even another problem. What about people who are not already Jews? And so they've got to face that challenge that's out there. 
You say, well, these are good people. These are good Christians. These are people who are following the Lord. Why in the world should all these problems keep coming up and mounting up and working on them? I want you to remember, and I want you to think about this, because here is your reality. Temptation, or the work of Satan, does not have to deal with those he already has. He doesn't deal with those who who have already surrendered or already within his grasp. But Peter describes him as one who's seeking to devour us. You need to resist him. You need to put him off. But he is one who would try to overwhelm those who are not yet his. And that was even Paul's situation. As he writes about his own life. And he said, thus I keep me from being puffed up above others. I was given this thorn in the flesh, this working of Satan. He refers to it as something of Satan that he has. And it brought about a humility in his life. And that was Paul's situation. But isn't that life? We, we recognize this in reality. We recognize it in life. Lynn Anderson sang her song, The Rose Garden. I never promised you a rose garden. Or we might draw on that reminder of Paul. When he says in 1 Corinthians 10 and verse 12, let, Therefore let him who thinks he stands. You can probably almost quote the rest of it, can't you? Take heed lest he fall. Don't get arrogant about where we are. Don't get just self-satisfied with it. Realize that as we move forward, progress presents problems to be dealt with, but that is not necessarily bad because, because every problem has a solution in the Lord. I think if we put our perspectives together and we think about it, there are three types of people, three types of people in dealing with problems, or three, types, or three ways in which people deal with problems. I probably didn't state that the best it could be, but you get what I mean out of that. Uh, I'm not trying to categorize us as people. We are people. I hope that's true. But three responses, three responses in this. One is to, when the problem arises, what do you do? Well, cut and run. Just not going to deal with it. Just going to run away. Just not handle it in any way at all. I'll just go away. I often think about what Paul says about his friend Demas when he says, uh, Demas has left me having loved this present world. In other words, if we see a real problem, a life-threatening issue come up, take off. Get away from it. Some want to just cut and run. Others may hope for a Savior. Oh, boy, I hope somebody will come along and take care of this. Surely somebody will do that. Haven't we said that? I love my friend Floyd Mills. He said, we're always saying somebody ought to do it. He said, well, I'm somebody. Aren't we all? Shouldn't we all be somebody? That hope for a Savior, somebody to come along and save us. I think about the book of Judges when the Israelites, they would get so far from God and they would weep, oh Lord, we're in trouble, we're in trouble, we're in trouble. This foreign nation has come and take over and they would cry and they would cry. And finally the Lord would say, okay, he'd raise up a Savior for them. A judge, somebody to come in and lead them out of the problem they were in. Or the third type, or the third perspective in dealing with problems is take responsibility and solve it. We're not going to sit around for somebody, wait for somebody else to find a way to solve it. We're not going to just cut and run away from it. We're going to say, what can I do to solve this problem? And isn't that Isn't that a picture of the church there that we're talking about in its earliest days in Jerusalem? Isn't that exactly what they did? 
We find them dealing with the problems they had and overcoming the problems, and they depended on the Lord to do that. See how they faced their problems. Listen to how they faced their problems. They refused to yield. They refused to yield to the council. They refused to yield God's will to the self-preservation or political pressure. In other words, they weren't going to just save their lives, or they're not going to just do what the council told them to do. Whether it's right, they said, you decide whether it's right to to do what you say or to obey God. They chose to obey God. They also accepted the example of what it means to be deceptive to God. They saw in Ananias and Sapphira something to learn from. They didn't get angry with God. They didn't go divisive. They didn't just go ballistic. They didn't just run away. They took care of business and they learned what it meant. And they just kept moving forward. And when the problem arose about feeding of the widows and caring of of one another, instead of just disrupting about dividing and saying, well, I'm just going to go out and pull off in my own direction, they said, let's get some godly leaders, according to what they're instructed through the apostles, some godly leaders to solve the problem, to solve the group tensions. And they appoint those seven men, men were full of the Spirit and godly men, people of good example, they said. And they pick out these seven. And you know what? We don't hear about that problem again. Those guys take care of business. They just got in and took care of the business and got it solved and settled. That's what they did. The apostles said, listen, it's a problem that needs to be solved. Here's some guys. Go solve the problem. And they solved the problem while the apostles went on about their business and the church as well. They looked to the godly character of these leaders to solve the problem that was there at that moment. And yes, they mourned. They mourned for the unacceptable losses. They went out and buried their dead. They thought about what had happened in the death of Stephen and perhaps others after him. But they buried their dead and they moved onward. And when they were scattered, as we said a while ago, they went out preaching. They weren't afraid They weren't afraid to say anymore that they were with Jesus. They weren't hiding in their closets. Yes, they went to other places and maybe preserved their lives in that way. But you know what? Isn't it interesting? As I said a while ago, here is Saul of Tarsus trying to stop this thing. And actually, their persecution just spread it. I hate to say like a virus because that that sounds bad. But that's basically what it just kind of spread it wherever it went. And through it all, they kept open hearts to share the gospel wherever it was intended. They recognized that God was not a respecter of persons. Wasn't wasn't that Peter's words in Acts 10? Not a respecter of persons. They went everywhere and began to open the doors to people who had never even heard of the gospel before that. They had throughout a dependence A dependence on God's will. That's what we've got to learn. That dependence on the will of God and the character of Christ to show themselves and what they could be. And so let me apply this just real quickly to you. See if this doesn't make sense to you. We are on our way. And so we are on our way. You think about where we are and what we have. You think about what's going on in our lives. We are most fortunately blessed. To just be able to come into a place like this and to sit down for a little while with fellow Christians, to sing some songs together, to pray together, to spend some time thinking on God's word together in a 
blessed place that even has air conditioning. You don't have to use funeral home fans. Some of you don't have any idea what I'm talking about. Unfortunately, some of you do. We are most fortunate. We are blessed. We can gripe about our times all we want to, but we are most fortunate and blessed to be in the times that we are. And so here we are on our way, but we need to realize that there are. Yes, there are. We know some of them today. There are those seen problems and those unseen problems. We, there will be those ahead of us that are unforeseen and things that are foreseen. We'll know some of them as they're coming, but we'll have some of them that we didn't see them coming. I don't know, you, you may feel that way. I know I do. Several years ago at a lectureship, I was asked to speak on the subject of basically what I saw for the coming days of the church and the troubles that we would face. I think I gave them about 10 things that I had. I don't remember right now how many I gave. Probably wasn't 10, but I gave them several things that I thought would be coming in the church I, uh, and all. And you know what? All those things that I said, I think I was right about 20% and missed a whole lot more. I think that's the way we are. I don't mean to necessarily put you in my limited vision boat, but still, I think that's the way we are. There are things that we know are coming and we prepare for those, but there are also those unseen problems. We will continue to face them. Now, that's not a negative thing. We'll deal with them. They'll come to us. We'll deal with them. We'll confront them. We'll handle them and we'll move forward because we've got the Lord on our side with us. And so I'm saying to you, we may be on our way somewhere. We may be liking the progression of what we see. We may be finding comfort in the idea that we are moving forward and life has so many blessings. But we need to stop and look and not run away from it, not look for somebody else to handle it, but we need to stop and look and consider what might be happening along the way. Let's don't close our eyes in our journey and just slide through and hope we can comfortably get through life without any kind of disruption or distraction. But as we go into life, we recognize that there are things along the way, and many of those are things from which we can learn, challenges that we can overcome, strengths that we can gain, and the will of God can be applied within them. So let me wrap up with this. In Luke chapter 8, beginning in verse 40, and I think through the end of the chapter, there is an account of Jesus where he was called upon by one of the leaders of the synagogue, a fellow by the name of Jairus, or Jairus, depending on how you want to pronounce it, who came to him with a desire, I've got a problem. I've got someone that needs healing. I've got a little girl. And Jesus says, I'll come. And we get the idea that the progression begins to move and there are many people that are with Jesus. They thronged him at times when he was out speaking or dealing with people and they thronged him and it begins to move and they're on their way and then there's this woman along the way. Here he is, he's headed, this man is worried, this man is concerned because death is at the door. And Jesus is going with him. There's a job to be done. There's a care to be administered. There's a faith to be built. There's a life to be restored. 
There's a blessing to be shared. And so he begins. But there's this woman. And she's had her problem from some time. And you read the parallel accounts of it. She's been dealing with it. She's been trying to handle it. She's gone to doctors. She's done everything that she can. And she comes towards Jesus and she's heard from others along the way. He can heal you. And maybe she's even heard that if you just touch his clothing. And you get the picture of this woman making her way through the crowd, thronging about Jesus, probably most of the men. But she's pressing through those bodies and those legs. And she reaches through and she touches. And I always picture her touching the back of his garment. And Jesus realizes, and he calls to find out who it is that's touched him. And his closest people say, what do you mean? Who touched you? There are people pressing about us everywhere. And the woman admits it. It was me. And he tells her, your faith has made you well. And they move on. And ultimately, the young girl is raised from the dead, much to the scoffing of those round about. He was on his way. But what we would have missed if we didn't have that distraction, that side event, that problem that arose, our unseen challenges may not be so large or dramatic, or they may be seemingly life-overwhelming still, whether we see them coming or not. We've got to believe that we can, as the church did in the beginning, as Jesus did right here, we've got to believe that we can face them well and rise to any occasion with God's will and God's providence. That's the way it is. We are on our way. They were on their way. The Lord was on his way. We are on our way, but don't miss the things round about. This morning we will sing a song. Let it be a song of encouragement. Let it be a song of reminder. Let it be a song of invitation. If someone needed to respond this morning, whatever you need might be, if you need the prayers of the church or something like that, if you needed to be baptized into Christ today, the opportunity is yours. The opportunity is here and it is now. We're going to sing this song, Let It Be an Encouragement, an invitation to us all. If someone needs to come, won't you do so while we stand and sing it together.